0: are. This is our podcast. Here it is. About the world and how it's burning. I'm Olivia. And I'm Elise. And you're drinking tea? I'm drinking coffee. Oh, okay. I thought if I drank too much coffee I would be like shaking right now. Mm. So I'm I was like I need to be
1: just ready to go. Caffeinated. Sharp.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is our podcast for kind of for the end of the world but just also for climate change and our own eco-anxiety, climate anxiety, all of the
1: above. All of the above, and, you know, podcasts for the end of the world, but hopefully
0: so there isn't yeah. the end of the world. So we can talk about the things that are ending the world and make them legitimate and have people have more conversations about them past just yes. what we talk about. Yes. Um, so how, who, who are we? Who are you, Elise? uh I'm Elise um
1: (laughs) yeah I mean well we know each other from school so we both majored in music business so that's uh a useful thing I guess my formal education but am I using my degree right now not really um surprise uh I am currently running an online vintage and secondhand store on Depop called Nyliner um, I just moved to Austin, which is fun. Um, you know, pandemic got the better of me.
0: Yeah. And now I'm here. You, yeah. As soon as I moved to Brooklyn, you were like, "I think I I'm like, gonna move three days later." It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of not great timing. But for it also made a podcast together. Yeah, but it also made perfect sense because then I mean, there's so many reasons to to move, especially if you don't have to be in the city. Right yeah,
1: now. yeah. So paying basically half of what I was paying in rent for, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, um, for way more space. Yes,
1: yes. So I'm in a uh, little office space right now that I have room for. Um, but yeah, I I guess you know
0: you'll learn more about us. Yeah. As we keep going. But who are you, Olivia? <laughs> who am I? Um, <laughs> this is a hard question. I'm I'm a media student, so I'm sure I'll talk about media. At certain points, I'm, yeah, tumbling into grad grad school. I feel like that's the best way that I can say it. I was in the Peace Corps until COVID hit, and then uh, I was in Morocco, and then the next day I was at home at my parents' house having my 25th birthday and a cake with my parents, Um, which you also had your 25th birthday a couple days ago. Yeah. So welcome yeah. to the quarantine, quarantine quarter century crisis
1: club. Yep. Yep, I keep feeling like I'm having a quarter life crisis, but it's not my fault. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> it's just it's just everything else. Yeah. Um but basically we we wanted to start this podcast to we're both big friends of true crime. It's not this is not a true crime podcast in any way, but I feel like the storytelling aspect of a lot of those podcasts is what I need an outlet for in terms of climate. Like there are so many stories about the way that the world is going, climate justice, uh, environmental sustainability, all of these stories that are worth telling and are worth just, like, talking about among friends, and that's what we're, we're going to try to do.
1: Yeah, I definitely think uh, just a lot of times the way true crime stories are, like, how could this even happen, mm-hmm. and, like, also the response to it, like, why did people act this way a lot of that same kind of just like questioning a situation
0: yeah and how
1: terrible it is applies to how I process a lot of stories about the environment
0: right it's like the worst thing that can happen to a person and also often disproportionately to women and people of color Mm -hmm. That, that the worst thing that can happen to you how can you even fathom it and then now climate crisis is like the thing that is happening to all of us but there's there's plenty of people who don't want to acknowledge it or don't want to have any conversations about it and then there's plenty of us who do acknowledge that there's a a huge issue and a time crunch on it but don't know what the heck to do about it
1: yeah or or it's just too big to like comprehend just like how do you wrap your head around like i don't know like the world getting two degrees hotter, like, that's so hard to conceptualize what that would actually look like.
0: Right. Or what does that mean for us, like, Like, day-to-day? Yeah,
1: I don't know. Um, I hate, like, the winter time. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how I feel like it's easy to respond to stuff like that, so...
0: Yeah, it's like, just because there's no snow in February, does that mean that global warming is real? No, but it's a false equivalency. (laughs) Like, there are plenty of other reasons why all of these things are happening. Um... So yeah, each week we're going to tell each other a story from, the I don't know, what what are we even calling the greater bubble? Like the environmental movement? The climate crisis? Kind of like
1: climate crisis, but also, yeah, stories about environmentalism, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, but not always. Just like things that affect the earth. Or
0: the people and animals and plants that are on, <laughs> but <the> also earth. <laughs> probably aliens at some point. I mean, it, honestly, depending it was, on how long we do this podcast for, it, also we could definitely talk about Elon Musk and Mars and all of that. Space. So it's not. Space. It's not even the Earth and to this uh, the world
1: earth,
0: The Earth's surrounding
1: environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, the atmosphere space junk. Yeah, like space garbage is the thing.
0: Oh um, my God! Yeah. That's yeah. so. That's definitely going on our so list of not, ideas. Yeah, that's not even like in our at, or I guess it is in our atmosphere. I don't, I don't know. know how space garbage. That's works. that's probably something that's important to say. Neither of us are scientists. Like we said, we both yes, studied 100%. business, music business, and yeah, um, have basically worked around the entertainment industry. So my last, I didn't even take environmental science in high school. I took one hour of biology. And one hour of chemistry at the same time. And in my chemistry class, yeah. we worked on the same problem the whole year. So... <laughs> yeah. I did bio and chem. Um, and... Oh, and physics.
1: I did physics.
0: Yeah. But our idea is trying to make those those subjects more accessible. And, yeah. and also just, like... Something that everyday people can understand, <laughs> AKA yes, yeah, because like, we are everyday the, the village people, idiot like... is me, <laughs> and I are here to tell us. Yeah, if I can yeah. understand it, then hopefully other people can. Hopefully,
1: yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm gonna spend time reading stories until I understand them, so I can tell you in a way that I would understand it about what's going on.
0: <laughs> um. So the first one. I guess I'll just jump right into my story, cause there's a back yeah. there's yeah, a yeah. backstory to my story. The- um, I think a lot of people maybe will have heard this story before. It's the story of Centralia, which is the ghost town on fire, um, which I will get deep dive into. But first of all, a little bit of backstory on why this one was interesting to us. Um, we talked a little bit about like true crime stuff before, and this was on a mini-sode for my favorite murder. I could have sworn I looked up yesterday to see when they posted this I could have sworn this was posted at the end of May when I like initially kind of got the bubble for idea for this podcast but I just looked and it was it was posted on July 6th so that's not mm-hmm. what it was I guess it was just that idea was bubbling and then I would hear stories like Centralia and um, the the water what I have it written down hold on There was like the water, the dam outside, St. Francis Dam Disaster, story of Julianne Kopecky, like Kopke, all of these different stories that, you know, are on different podcasts that aren't about climate at all, but are 100% climate stories. Um, And so we're going to dive into that, like as a, a climate story, what the heck does that mean? And also the way the i think for both of our stories the government and money are so intertwined with how the story ends up mm-hmm. that it's just infuriating and yeah. um very 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 frustrating so my main sources for this were a Smithsonian article there was a video by ABC Australia called Home Sweet Home in 2003 that's a really sweet video you can watch online obviously Wikipedia, and then a bunch of kind of random uh, articles from history, off-roaders, Coal Speaker. There's a lot of information on this, um, on Centralia, because it's one of the most famous coal fires, especially in the U.S., but uh, yeah, lots of information. We'll have all of the links on our website, so if you want to dive into this more, really encourage you, because I know that... I have, like, the simpler story this week, and we're definitely not going to get to everything because there's a lot of, of elements. It's a story that goes over, like, decades and decades. So, um, Centralia is a town in East Central Pennsylvania. If you're like me and get your knowledge of Pennsylvania mostly from media, it's, like, it's pretty halfway between Scranton and Allentown. So if you're familiar with The Office or uh, Billy Joel, halfway between those... Um, in, in peak coal country, there's a huge, huge amount of anthracite coal in that area. Um, so in the late 18, mid to late 1800s, tons of people were moving to this area to be coal miners. Um, the first two coal mines in Centralia were opened in 1856. And um, over the few decades after that, into the 1900s, the population grew to over 2,700 people. Um, But then with the World Wars and also with the Great Depression, a lot of the coal miners, the men that were working um, that lived in the area, a lot of them were enlisted in the service, so they went away. And then with the Great Depression, there was a lot of economic suffering in the town, but it was still a couple thousand people, um, still very profitable mines. And then in 1962, uh, there – well – there was an inciting incident, but there's a little bit of um speculate not speculation. What's the word? Uh fighting. What's the word? Like um like this is always what's so frustrating uh, about podcasts. <laughs> on the two of my tongue. Everyone else knows the word. Everyone else knows that uh, um uh, disagreement like, uh, between yeah, two like theories. Conflict? No, there's another word. No. We'll come up with it later. Um There's, yeah, two different main theories. The main one is that there was a fire at the town garbage dump. So especially um, around this era, like 50s and 60s, mining towns across America would deal with their trash by using coal pits as landfills. Um, So, which sounds like an amazing idea, obviously. Um, So they would have this huge pit, and underneath that, there's a whole... uh, kind of labyrinth of coal mines if you imagine like an ant you know those ant dig things where you can see like Like an uh, ant farm yeah ant farm where you can see everything that they're leading out that's literally what the photos of the coal mines look like it's just all of these little lines underneath the town um and going out real um far below so the coal pits are above that and usually there's enough space between those that you don't I'm putting my hands up as if anyone can see me except for you, but um, it's fine. I'm gonna be wild. Yeah, talk with my chaotic. hands. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like here nodding. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, you're just like a little screen to me, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so basically, they set this on fire. Um, it's a local fire company that comes and uh, does this every year uh, right before Memorial Day. I don't really know why, but the day before Memorial Day, um, and so they think that they've put the Fire out, but actually, at the very bottom of it, it's still smoldering, and there's enough space in between the end of the coal pit garbage dump and where the mine starts for it to catch fire underneath. Um, the other theory, which is fairly similar, but it's just a little bit more controversial, and in, I'm sure if you actually lived in the town and were blaming specific people, it's a very important theory. Um, but Joan Quigley, in her two thousand and seven book, I got this on coal speaker. Her theory, from interviews with local firemen, the fire chief, a bunch of officials, was that um, two trash haulers had dumped hot ash or coal discard from coal burners into an open trash pit, um, and those pits, by law, were supposed to have a fire resistant uh, clay barrier between. Each layer, but they hadn't done that Mm -hmm. and so they think that that allowed hot coals to get into the underneath pit um, And start the fire So this all happened in 1962 There's not They're aware that this had happened, but not really aware of how much it is spreading There's not you know, there's not a huge amount of flames or anything like that because it's all happening underground Um, but then In 1969, engineers kind of had the the first real effort to stop the fire from spreading. Um, So their plan was to dig a trench straight into, I'm still using my hands. (laughs) They planned to dig a trench um, down into the mines, basically to block uh, the fire from going past that. But it took them so long to dig the trench that by the time they got down there, the fire had already surpassed it. So they weren't going to be able to stop it. And then also by digging that trench, they're allowing a ton of oxygen into it, which is going to make the fire way worse and spread even faster. Um, So they, yeah, that was one of their attempts to to fix it and basically the longer they wait to fix it the more expensive it gets because the longer it goes out um the harder it is to contain if you wanted there was some you know idea to pour water into it which obviously would feed the fire if you don't have enough of it but if you put enough water in there you might be able to douse the fire but it would take like four days worth of fire or worth of water excuse me to maybe douse it and then it might not even actually do anything um so there was a gas station owner in the late 70s who was um having a couple problems with their fuel tanks uh, in centralia and they tested the temperature of their underground fuel reserves which are supposed to be around like 60 degrees and they were over 170 degrees like basically boiling underground um, so they had to close their gas station. There were a lot of complaints of different things, especially in the 70s. So it took, it took a while for these things to really affect people because it, the trash pit was a little bit farther away um, from the towns. Uh, so it wasn't under the houses until, you know, almost a decade later, at least most of the houses. But people would complain about their basement walls being, like, Over 100 degrees. Um, There was tons of carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, People waking up to... Everyone had to install carbon monoxide alarms and then um, would regularly wake up to those, especially people that were under hotbeds like that gas station. So not only do they have their reserves under the ground, but then farther under that, there's a coal mine that's on fire... Like one of the coal mines that's on fire that's closer to the ground than maybe others. Um, So that person the family that lived there especially dealt with a lot of potential carbon monoxide poisoning and they would just like as soon as it would happen i think there's an there was an article from 1981 about this where they they interview a bunch of the people and they were like yeah okay um you know this is just kind of normal to us we like open the window when it goes off and then it when it goes off we close it again i'm just like yeah what what like yeah but it's i don't know the whole the whole time i was reading through this and when i've heard about this story before it is so true that like every you just get used to this thing that's a little bit crazy i think we're living through this now like everything just seems crazier and crazier and so it's hard to find like where your breaking point is like where are you gonna leave your house
1: i feel like it's like the boiling frog thing what is that where, like, if, so, like, if you put a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out, mm-hmm. but then if you put a frog in normal water, and then you slowly raise the temperature until it's boiling, they won't notice, and then they'll die. Oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah that's uh... so... <laughs> I, but, I, I, like, I feel like that, like, ha- is, like... Yeah. Like, or ...but, like, it is the, like, you slowly get used to all these like unlivable conditions yeah and you're just like oh yeah we just open the window like it's hot i don't know the basement like my walls are 100 degrees like yeah
0: my grandson complains about it but it's fine like i don't (laughs) go down there you know whatever yeah who who, who really goes down in their basement it's all like
1: my crap down there
0: yeah and so and also there's a lot of people that are from yeah these these mining towns their families their grandfathers came here and like this is their home. That's their family home. That's just, like, what it is. So, obviously, they don't want to leave unless they have to. And if they think that most of the risk has already been, ha- like, occurred, then why are they going to move now? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a bunch of kind of funny things like that. Uh, not funny, but odd occurrences like that. Uh, then on Valentine's Day in 1981... Todd Domboski was at his grandmother's house kind of just chilling around in the backyard looking for, I don't know, whatever 13-year-old boys do in the woods, just hanging out and looking around. He fell into a sinkhole in the backyard. He saw some steam, um, and he went over just to check it out and, you know, see what was happening, and the sinkhole opened up below him. And uh, he said that steam was shooting up some, like, 50 feet in the air. This is all from the New York Times and Discovery UK, um, Mike Sansom, Sansom, who's a chemical engineer, so I believe, like, anything he says. Um, So, yeah, he was immediately up to his knees in the ground um, and kept sinking, but then he held onto a root, and luckily his cousin was in the area, or was, like, outside also, and so was able to come over within a minute and get him out because he was, like, slowly sinking into it. Um, But I saw somewhere that it was, like, supposed to be maybe only four feet wide, but over 150 feet deep. Because I guess once there's a sinkhole, it just, you know, keeps going. Um, But what happens with these fires, too, obviously it's, you know, a thousand degrees, literally... Um, in the mines and so that takes away all of the structures especially the wooden structures that have been made to hold up those mines and so it compromises all of the soil so at any moment basically things can just come down there's a highway in town called graffiti highway that's as you would expect just covered in uh, graffiti and it's very cracked because of things like this the ground gets super uneven Um, I had this at the end, but I'm going to say it now because it just pisses me (laughs) off. Um, So Centralia has been, like, a tourist destination for a long time. There was one of the movies that I watched that was from 2003. There were literally people there on a weekday just, like, going and looking around and smelling the sulfur coming out of the ground and stuff, which is not good for you. Um, But I get it. People, you know, want to come and see what's going on, especially if they... Um, are from Pennsylvania, but um, the graffiti highway was just covered over with um, I don't know if it was more cement or what, um, but all of the graffiti was covered in April 2020 because people were coming there and having parties. There was like a uh, someone started a bonfire literally March 22nd of 2020. <laughs> this is this makes me mad. Okay. And yeah, hundreds of people from out of state came. I don't know if they. if they were planning to, or if it was just people... You couldn't even be bored of the quarantine. It was, like, a week into quarantine. Um, But people just came and were congregating there, and, um, yeah, just, like, basically screwed it for everyone. I don't really think that you should be going and visiting there anyways. I'll, like... I'll I'll get a little bit Mm -hmm. more into, like, the town politics, because there's a lot of stuff that happened, and um, that, that has to do with, like, not having tourists also. But... (sighs) <sighs> That's just frustrating to me. Um, but yeah, the, the roads were cracking and all this stuff. So when Todd fell into the sinkhole, that was something that got a ton of media attention. Before this, that that was in 1981. So already almost 20 years after after the initial fire was started. But that was kind of the thing that got people caring about it because it's just like, whatever, cute, all-American boy very sympathetic story and also kind of uh fantastical in a way which is so frustrating that this wasn't more of a a national story beforehand but it's america it's okay um (laughs) and so yeah that started getting it more attention then also people being afraid of obviously that happening to them there were stories of people's cats being just like sucked into a sinkhole and all these different kinds of things and then all obviously all of the the heat and uh, carbon monoxide problems so um, in the 80s the government started moving people out and the population went from uh, 1100 to around 15 and then in 1984 Congress dispersed uh, 42 million for relocation I have a section just called money because that's <laughs> half the story um so they yeah. they sent out 42 million for a relocation but it's it just completely split the town because there were people who took the money saw it as this like hazardous problem obviously there's a lot of health issues and then especially if you have kids that are there um it makes sense to to move um and then there were others who either didn't see the issue or they were so you know connected to their hometown and their places that they didn't want to leave Um, Or they felt like they wouldn't be able to, even with the money from the government, be able to afford another house in another area. Um, So there were people that stayed. And then in 1992, so it's another seven years later, or I don't know, eight years later, what? Um, (laughs) All people, um, all property was condemned under eminent domain. And there was a, a little bit of a lawsuit with this, and there were a couple of mostly elderly couples who uh, made a an agreement, and uh, specifically in 2009, the state governor uh, started evicting the last 16 households that were in Centralia, um, especially the, the younger people, because they would be there, in theory, for longer. Um, and so there was a settlement in 2013 for an undisclosed amount to the remaining seven households to allow them... Uh, to live out their lives in their houses before they'd be seized by the government. Um, so there are a handful of people that are still living there. Uh, probably not for for that much longer. I mean, again, a lot of the media that I looked at was from the early 2000s, and so some of those people have since passed away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. I didn't realize that there were still some people.
0: Yeah, no, That yeah, that are still there. Yeah, yeah. But there's no... Um, their, their town government is like eight of the, I forget what exactly what year this was from, but somewhere in the mid two thousands, there were like 12 people living in town. Eight of them, uh, were on, on the governmental board and Mm -hmm. their budget for the town was like $4,000, like a couple thousand dollars, basically just to plow the roads. Um, you know, do all the basic things because there's no stores there. There haven't been stores there for decades. Um, it's just people, you know, that have their whatever houses. And then uh, people whose houses were bought by the government, all of those houses have been raised and just replaced with grass. So there are a lot of um, just plots of grass. And there will be someone's, you know, one person's house on a road that used to have 50 houses. There are some photos. I'll actually, well, I'll send you one now because I want you to see it. Um, okay. Because it's really... It's crazy. There's this, this classic like before and after, and the first photo mm-hmm. is from like 1980, so it's still it already been happening for like 15 years, and then the oh, second wow. photo we'll put this on the website um, is just the same the same road but with one house. I think this is Locust Ave because the person you know there's so few people in the town that mm-hmm. usually if you've watched enough media like I have in the last 48 hours about this <laughs> you've met most of the people that are in the town. Um, but it, it can be really heartbreaking because there there are a couple people that have been interviewed who did leave because they really I mean especially if you need any sort of medical aid you need any amenities that you get from being close to your grocery store your post office um, you know having someone who can uh, deliver pizza to you like all of those things that you have to move out of town um, also a lot of I think this is more, like, in the 90s when there was that initial lawsuit to get everyone out. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the couples thought, or a lot of people thought that the government was just going to buy it all out from them so that they could then, yes, put out the fire below them, but mostly to uh, use all the coal and make money off of all the coal. So, basically, mm-hmm. their, their house is a plot of land on that's stopping, in their minds, the government from taking all of that money sitting below them.
1: Yeah. And so, they, so, uh, they, I'm assuming, are just basically getting everyone out of the town and aren't really, there's not really any focus on trying to put out this fire at this point. Yeah,
0: no. So there had been that initial, um, trying to dig the trenches in 1969. Then there was a time in the, I think the 80s when they, uh, tried to put... Uh, basically vent pipes in the in the ground um to let mm-hmm. out all of the exhaust but then people not people scientists and officials thought that that also could be contributing to the problem by um letting like all i mean basically sorry i just lost my train of thought <laughs> um by letting oxygen into the yeah. the ground um so there's so much risk that anything could make it worse Also, um, they, they could not only make it worse, but really the only way to get it out, especially once it's so widespread, is to complete, like, just basically take the ground off, or hope that it's going to run into groundwater. Yeah. So, in that 2003 documentary that I watched, there was an estimate that to put out the fire would cost a billion dollars. With a B. A billion dollars.
1: A billion? Yeah.
0: Um... So obviously, and even in the '80s, that was what it, basically the cost of paying the 42 million to get everyone out was less than the cost of actually starting stopping the yeah. fire. Um, Way
1: less. Yeah,
0: and so, but the longer you let it go for, the farther it's going to yeah. spread, the more expensive it's going to be, and the less valuable the land on top of it is going to be too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, surprise, surprise, this is not the only coal seam fire in the world actually it's one of 38 i believe in pennsylvania and over 200 in the u.s um there's this there's a a wikipedia page i highly recommend it's just called eternal flame um that talks about like these coal seam fires and then other fires that have been eternally burn or not eternally but have been burning for decades or centuries and then also the religious aspect of a lot of religious works that have eternal flames um Mm -hmm. even the yu yu chalice is like i mean that's what it is supposed to be it's like an eternal light of um i don't know like human spirit basically Mm -hmm. um so there's burning mountain which is in well then i have a whole thing about this um Burning Mountain is in Australia. Uh it's hold on. Sorry. I put down just you know you get to the point where you just like copy a bunch of paragraphs in and then don't organize them. That's what I did. Mm. Um nice. So, it's called Mount Wingen um in Australia. Um and it's been burning for an estimated 6,000 years. So, Wingan wow. means fire um, in the language of the Wanarrua Aboriginal people who originally owned that land. I don't think, I think it's been stolen from them since then, but um, that was the original name that they gave it. Um, and it was only identified to also be a coal seam fire in 1829. Um, and so these, it's the same type of fire that's burning in Centralia, it's just uh naturally occurring um but the thing with the one in centralia is that since there's it was a mining town and there's so many like escapes below uh it's it has so much farther to go so a natural one there's not in in my understanding of it there's not as much space for it to go because there aren't all these man-made holes um mm-hmm. like you might have a natural cave system but right. not like it's like
1: sis like Systematically built, like, aeration tubes, basically.
0: exactly. And so, basically, this is how they can um, be exhausted. Either the fuel is exhausted, um, the groundwater is encountered, and enough groundwater to actually, like, stop the the smoldering. Um, The depth of the burn can become greater than the ground's capacity, and then it'll collapse and vent out, or human intervention. Which, as we've discussed, is very expensive. Um, But yeah, so there's tons of these all over the world. There's a lot of them in India and China where there's a lot of mining systems. Um, And yeah, it's just kind of everywhere.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and just that it's been on fire for so long.
0: Yeah, and that there's no real way to stop it. It's Or no way... That not hindered by policy and money and politics (laughs) is so frustrating um so yeah like i said there are people that uh come here as tourists the thing with tourism is that it mostly benefits the neighboring towns since um centralia when uh all the town the things were seized their Mm -hmm. zip code was also seized so they can't really make any there's no government infrastructure there there's just the columbia county which is the larger county um so all those places that are selling souvenirs and lodging and all that stuff are not actually like giving money to the town um, but it is going mm-hmm. to the larger county i guess um but yeah people will walk on the lawns of the people that still live there and think that it's abandoned um mm-hmm. and they said they'll always be asking why do you live here um, they dump, dump trash everywhere. The worst are the tourists who leave graffiti, which, as we said, is a lot, a lot of people. Um, yeah. Oh, fun thing. <laughs> kind of. It's fun, <laughs> but it's also sad, as, as literally all this stuff. Yeah. Um, there was a buried time capsule that was, it was buried on the centennial of the town in 1966 to be opened 50 years later in 2016. Uh, But they ended up opening it early in 2014 because of, like, a bunch of water damage. And I'm not even sure if that was had anything related to, like, the way that the ground was because of the fire. Um, But they opened it in 2014, and it was just, like, it kind of just made people sad. Because when it had been buried any worry that they had about the fire was overshadowed by the celebration of the town and like all the amazing things that had happened for the town in the last hundred years and growing Mm -hmm. it into this bustling place and then when it was opened in 2014 there's a handful of people that live in town there was like a 1966 yearbook and a bible that had been completely waterlogged and so basically what they did is just gave any, any documents that were in there that had survived, they gave them either back to the living donors, since it was only 50 years later, or to their families. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then this has been featured in a bunch of movies and stuff. There's uh, apparently a terrible Dan Aykroyd movie. I don't, I don't want to say terrible in case, in case Dan Aykroyd li- listens to this podcast. I love him. I love Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, it was his directorial debut, and it sounded like there was a lot of drama on set. Um, but it was called mm-hmm. Nothing But Trouble, which, which is also yeah. the name of our podcast, as it should yep. be. Yeah. Um, and it's base. It's basically about a town called Valkenvania that's based on Centralia, and they uh, the town also has an underground coal fire, and there's this huge uh, legal battle about. I think it's Chevy Chase's character like drives speeds through town. <laughs> And then the one cop in town who is the son of the lawyer in town get, like, try to take money out of them. But it was, <laughs> I, like, on, on the Wikipedia page, I didn't get past that, but it was, like, basically this is what every Manhattan yuppie's worst nightmare is of what they think is going to happen when they move to a small town. It's just going to be, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of random people who, like, where there's there's this wasteland of of nothingness. But that's Mm -hmm. not true. There's, like, so many amazing people. And I feel like all the people, even the ones that still live in this town and then the ones that had to move, are such amazing, strong people. Like, I, there's one part in that 2003 documentary that people should watch where um, one of the old townspeople just starts crying because he's like, that was my grandmother's house. That's, like, where my whole family has lived excuse me whoa i just had like a voice crack what was that <laughs> something just happened to me um but he um he, he was just so upset about it because that's like where where his whole family was and then now because of this this thing that he had no control over but also didn't need to happen uh, happened because of irresponsible people like his whole hometown has been destroyed yeah. just disappeared like
1: it's so preventable, and, yeah, and the people there are just, like, powerless. Right. I feel like that's going to be a theme on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately.
0: I know. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, I have a lot more information, but I feel like that's the the gist.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, we'll put more pictures and stuff on our Instagram and have all the links that you've pulled on. yeah. Our website.
0: Yes. Um. Yeah, and uh, uh, people like to talk about Silent Hill, too. The original Silent Hill game was not, in my knowledge, based on Centralia because it's, uh, you know, was developed by a Japanese company in Japan. But the screenwriter for the first Silent Hill movie, Roger Avery, um, based his town on Centralia. And mm-hmm. the, the reason that he connected the popularity of Silent Hill and this actual real town was... This, like, fear of the unknown. Like, the the reason Silent Hill was so successful as a video game was that instead of making you afraid of, like, I don't know, assassins or um, huge, like, c- crazy, like, gags and all these things, it's a much creepier video game. You're just, like, walking through the fog and the darkness and you don't know wait like if you've been abandoned you don't know if there's something in front of you and it's like this whole fear of the unknown that's like the central fear and i just found that very relatable (laughs) yeah
1: no that's fair (laughs)
0: also relates to us but yeah yeah so yeah (laughs) we'll have all fronts we'll have the rest of those on um on the website but (laughs) at least all right well um Hi. Take a sip. Yes, I'm taking a sip of water. I can hear getting ready. I can hear. Can your, you hear me yeah, when you put your glass down and stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I'm using a coaster, but maybe nah. Yeah, yeah. Or I'll just stop
0: drinking water. No, you um, you can drink it. Just put it on the ground or something. I don't know.
1: Okay. Yeah. Actually, that's a good idea. I have my phone on the ground.
0: But so that's anyone that's um. still listening. <laughs> that's gonna be the story of our lives because obviously. Not an audio engineer. I feel like if we have any of our audio engineer friends who listen to this, they're going to be like, "You need to hire us, and not do this yourselves." But <laughs> tell us what you. we're doing wrong. Yeah, tell, tell us, us what we're- all
1: the sounds you can hear. Uh, I'm trying not to fidget and move around, but being I'm pretty unsuccessful at that. It's okay. Um. Anyway, uh, staying hydrated aside, um, today I am doing um. The story of Cancer Alley, uh, in St. James Parish, Louisiana. Um, I'm so excited. So, yeah, uh, this is, uh, Cancer Alley is basically the eighty-five mile stretch between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Um. So, a long time ago, um, that land was filled with sugar plantations, um, but, um, over the years, um the formerly enslaved people that lived in the area um they're able to buy land and start their own communities um like there's a town in this area called freetown um but they started um yeah building up a community um one woman named sharon levine who remember her name because she'll come back later okay um but growing up she remembers um And she still lives on the original 40 acres that her grandfather purchased. Uh, But she remembers watching people, like, cultivate the land and grow rice and um, sugarcane. And when the sugarcane was harvested, everything would smell like candy. And the whole stretch was filled with, you know, flourishing Black-owned businesses. So they had a nice thing going, Um, obviously... Through rough patches and whatnot, but um, they were being they were pretty successful um, until um, 1969, when DuPont built a neoprene factory in the area, um, and Wait, what, basically, what is neoprene? What, Are you guys okay? It? So yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna get there, but I will explain it now. Okay. Um, so neoprene is um, it's used to make uh, wetsuits. And, like, mouse pads, um, and a mm. lot of medical supplies and stuff, so, like, if, like, I, I feel like I've, like, mouse pads are the thing that I've, like, come in contact with the most, but it's that, like, spongy... Right. Rubbery stuff. Yeah. Um, and actually, fun fact, I guess, um, this factory is still to this day the only place in the U.S. that makes neoprene.
0: Wait, really? I feel like that's... Yeah. ...still really... So, it, has it been just move to other countries or something? Um I I think it's just the only place
1: that makes it in the US. I, I think what? there are other places in other areas, but in the US, only place that makes neoprene. Um I think they had other plants earlier, like their uh, DuPont's first neoprene plant was in Kentucky. Um but in like the 1940s or something. Um but but yeah. So neoprene, the wetsuit rubbery mouse pad material. Um, Yeah, so they built this neoprene factory in 1969, um, and this kind of marks the shift from like agriculture, I guess, being the main uh, business in the area, to um, the production and processing of petrochemicals and fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that has just continued to grow, and Today, there are over 150 plants run by ExxonMobil uh, Coke, and Shell, among other companies. Um, and so neoprene, there's a chemical called chloroprene, which um, is used in the making of it. That is basically the harmful thing that's causing a lot of damage in the area. Mm-hmm. Um. So, before this factory was built in 1969, um, DuPont uh, did studies in the 40s to see um, if chloroprene would have any adverse effects on people. Wait, so the company themselves did the test mm -hmm. to see
0: if the company's material would be bad? Yes, in 1941. (laughs) I don't see any problem Um, with
1: that. Yeah, well, but no, they they found that in the, like when guinea pigs were exposed to this chemical um they would have circulatory abnorma- abnormalities to the point where they would collapse so
0: wait like circular sorry it's circulatory like the I think, blood system mm?
1: yeah I, I i honestly i'm not really entirely sure it, like all the information in this study i think it's kind of just like the bottom line is that they knew it was harmful. Yeah, um, from the
0: get-go, before they even opened the a factory. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, like, it will cause a myriad of problems in living creatures. Um, Perfect. Yeah, and they knew this since 1941. Um, so because of this knowledge that they had, they initially were looking for somewhere that was less populated, but... Um, they ultimately decided to build in St. John um, presumably because they uh, decided that the residents that lived there didn't really matter all that much. Um, huh. So this is where we get into <laughs> environmental racism yeah uh, because um, St. James as a whole is about 50% black, but um, the areas directly around the plants, Um, can be up to 90% black. Uh Um, So so those are the people that are obviously most affected by this. Um, But, yeah, so after the plant was built, um, residents like Robert Taylor started noticing that people were getting sick. Um, So he has watched as his community has basically been ravaged by what he is assuming is coming from the plant. Mm-hmm. And his um, his mother, brother, sister, and nephew have all died from cancer. Oh, my God. Um, as well as, like, both his next-door neighbors. So I guess, like, two neighbors on one side and wow. one neighbor on the other. So, like, he's literally just surrounded by... He's just, like, sitting there watching, like, why am I still here? Right. Um, and I know now that his... Um, his wife is currently battling cancer mm. and his daughter is suffering from I think some sort of like gastrointestinal disease or something like that.
0: Oh, god! Um, and the, I feel like if you see this in articles or I'm sure he gets the comment a lot of it's like, well, why don't you just move? And it's like, no, this is where he lives. It shouldn't. This shouldn't even yeah. be a problem that exists. Yeah. Um,
1: and like, you can tell like, it's These are, like, generations and, like, extended family members that are affected by this. Mm -hmm. So, it's, like, this is where people's roots are. Like, their whole families live there. This is where their community is. And they're watching as everyone in their family and their community and their friends are just, like, one by one getting cancer or getting, like, awful.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like, having awful health issues. Yeah, that are clearly Um, related to air quality or all that, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, um, basically, there's this clear pattern of this happening, um, but it's really hard to prove, um, it's really hard to, like, prove, uh, that environmental factors actually cause Mm. cancer or, like, cause disease, just for, like, so many different reasons, Um, like, even one of them is, um, I guess in, like, counting the the cancer rates in the area, if you look at things on a big scale, the numbers look, like, okay, or they don't look necessarily crazy different from... Correlation does not
0: equal causation, whatever.
1: Yeah, and, but, like, if you look at it on a big scale, the numbers kind of look similar to national averages and stuff, but then when you go and look at, like, the census tracts closest to the, um, closest to the plants, Mm -hmm. like, the numbers are crazy, like, totally different story, Mm -hmm. um, and also one thing that I thought was interesting is a lot of people go out of state to get treatment, so a lot of the cases that should be technically recorded in Louisiana get, uh, reported in Texas or Tennessee, because that's where people go to get treatment. Oh. So, so there's probably a lot more cases mm. than are even counted. But, yeah. So, like, basically the numbers are really weird. It's hard to yeah. prove. Um, but um, in addition to, like, watching people get sick, um, there are, I guess, these, like, waves of really gross-smelling air that, like, extend out from the plants. Mm. And after they kind of roll through neighborhoods people will have, like, headaches and breathing problems and stomach aches and diarrhea. Yeah. Um, So they, like, get visibly, like, they know that they get sick after they are exposed to air from the factory. Mm. Um, And also I read about one woman who, um, she got caught in the rain and then her skin, like, peeled off. Oh, my gosh. Because she had, like, chemical burns from the pollution that rained down on her. Oh, my... Like, it didn't all peel off. I imagine it would just get, like... Like, it got, like, red and peely and flaky and Bad enough, yeah. But, like, Acid... (laughs) Literally acid rain. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, this stuff is, like, clearly having bad effects on people, even if it's really hard to prove... Yeah. ...links between the things. And, again, as you mentioned, a big issue is money. Mm. So... It's obviously hard enough to prove that there's a correlation between pollution that's going on and illnesses that people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the people themselves, they just don't have the money or the power to do anything about it. Yeah. Compared to all these Um, oil...
0: It's all oil companies, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Who have the highest power lawyers in the whole world and highest paid. There's no chance.
1: Yeah, exactly. So even if like the people, like the people don't have the money, the state doesn't have the money. Honestly, like at a federal level, there's not really the money. Um, and even if there is, the the government doesn't have a huge incentive to step in on behalf of the people because these plants are like the biggest taxpayers in the area. They're bringing in huge amounts of money. Mm. They're um, they are. Um, a big source of jobs although i've seen many complaints that they don't actually give the best jobs to the people that are most directly affected by the plants um Ugh. but but yeah so there's really not any incentive for anyone to step in and help people at this point um so obviously all this is happening um i guess in 1976 divers um Dove down to the bottom of the Mississippi River to get sediment samples, and they came up with second degree burns all over their hands. What? Um, so, so yeah, so like literally from the bottom of rivers through the air, just like everything is toxic if you come into contact with anything in the environment. You're
0: like yeah. So if you walk okay. around or doing any- wait. Yeah. So this they got the burns from the sediment in the bottom of yeah. the river.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I think they were testing for, like, chemicals and stuff, and then, they yeah, them. from scooping it up, they're like, yep, there it is. <laughs> um, so, just another example of just everything being incredibly toxic. Um, and then, jumping forward a little over 10 years, um, there was an LA Times article um, in 1989 about a pharmacist from St. Gabriel named Kay Gaday. I love uh, that name. And, <laughs> right? Wait, wait, what uh, was the name? K, her name is Kay G- 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 Uh G A U G- G- D Day. E T. I think you said Bidet. So it's <laughs> like, hell no, name. it's not Bidet. Kay Bidet. But uh, yeah, so Kay G- Uh And she started keeping track of miscarriages that were happening mm. in her town. Um, and so a peri- uh, so in her community of 2,100 people, um, 63 women suffered 75 miscarriages over a three-year oh period God. between 1985 and 1988. Um, so she just started, like, watching what was going on around her and taking notes. And then she started making a fuss about it. Um. Yeah, she should. As <laughs> she should. Um. And so, slowly her business started, in her pharmacy, started dwindling. Because she, she thinks that, um the plants are telling their, their workers to not pick up their meds at her pharmacy anymore, so they're, like, pressuring them to not go not see Not give her, her business.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, um. Which in a town of a little over 2,000 people is a lot of workers, I imagine, especially yeah. if they have a lot of health issues.
1: It. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so she starts, um, making a big fuss of it and just, like, seeing all the patterns um but again it's a situation where e- even if there are clear visible patterns it's really hard to prove the cause of it but like uh one woman who suffered a miscarriage she lived right next to a um benzene factory which is known to cause leukemia
0: mm.
1: and it was like leaching into the water um so she's like i think there might be a connection here but again It's just really hard to prove. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this part um, makes me really mad. Uh, In response to all of Kay's findings, Dan Bourne, who was a spokesman for the Louisiana Chemical Association at the time, said that all of the miscarriages were probably caused by too much sexual intercourse. What? Yeah. What?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding? We need... We're going to have to come up with a term for, like shitty specifically like white men largely white men yeah but we need just like a a a blanket term for them and then i feel like in our show notes we need to be like this person what's his name john something dan born dan born sucks (laughs) this person sucks.
1: (laughs) like yeah so he like it's just like uh, such a frustrating response to like the suffering of so A many families. A heartbreaking issue
0: that's caused by uh, chemical, but caused by capitalism. Yeah.
1: yeah, and he's just blaming them and belittling them mm. and saying that like they don't know anything. Uh, oh so gosh. yeah, that is the worst. But like that's that's the general response from yeah the companies is just like mm, you're probably having too much
0: sex and. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, so that's super frustrating. Which is also, like, at, at least if you're gonna give a shitty excuse, at least have it be something that makes sense. Like, that doesn't even not- that does not even make sense in another yeah. context. That's not- No. What causes a myth- like, that's just insane.
1: It- yeah, it's just basically, like, su- shaming women that yeah. are suffering from, like, exposure to, like, chemicals. terrible chemicals. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that is really terrible. Um, and then, so she just continues collecting all this data on her own and she keeps bringing awareness to it, which aside from being written off by the chemical companies um, but also they made a statement about it, so you know, she was saying enough stuff that they were paying attention to it. They her, had to say something, but, yeah. Yeah. um but like people would come up to her at church and like get all in her face about how she was bringing property values down Mm. um but she just carried her notebook around with her with all these press clippings and all of the names of the women that had miscarriages and she would just start reading out their names Mm. so um Obviously devastating, but I love her Yeah, so that's. Much.
0: A, uh, <laughs> can you imagine being at, like, coffee hour after church and yeah. so just, like, hearing that conversation going over and you obviously would be listening yeah. as soon as... And then she just starts reading the names. Like, how badass. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. Yeah.
1: So, she's awesome. Her situation is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... But yeah, so she's great, and I just love the fact that she like carries her evidence around with her at all times, so she's ready. Well, because of it, yeah, Um,
0: it's so interesting because I can't imagine. I feel like it must almost be similar to being a politician, where like going out into public, your problem affects everyone. Like mm -hmm. in her, within her town, it affects every single person that is there. So obviously, everyone's gonna have an opinion about it, and then. Yeah, there are going to be people like that who just don't want mm-hmm. anyone to stir the pot. They don't want any uh, problems, yeah. especially from the company that's giving a bunch of money to the town. From their perspective, exactly, exactly. Um,
1: so uh, clearly, she had all this information, but it was still really hard to prove cor- like a correlation between the pollution and like bodily reactions mm. to it. Um, which brings me around to how it is actually proven. Um, so, um, under the EPA, a department called IRIS, um, which stands for Integrated Risk Information System, Mm -hmm. was created because, um, yeah, I guess there were a bunch of different projects going on, um, under the EPA to see, like, what chemicals were harmful and what wasn't, and they were all kind of coming up with uh, conflicting results. Mm -hmm. So they made this program so they could all be on the same page and know, you know, kind of agree on what was bad and, like, how much of it was needed to be bad. Um, So this, their process is super, super thorough, so it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Like, science just takes a long time. Right. Um, Which, it's really great that they're thorough, um, but it's obviously bad for people who have to wait a really long time to get this information. Well, especially if your Um, health
0: is at stake.
1: Exactly. Like, when you're like, people are dying, we need this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, what makes it even harder is that the companies, like the chemical companies, um, fight them tooth and nail At every step of the way Mm -hmm. so that they don't aren't able to put out their information in a timely manner Mm -hmm. and then when they do release any findings um, a lot of times companies will be like we don't agree with your science we think you're wrong and do it again Um, which I think they can just decline but basically even when they do come out with information people challenge it and challenge it so, after a very lengthy process that Iris conducts to find if chloroprene is harmful, mm-hmm. they do find that it's a likely carcinogen in humans. Um, after, so w- finally, in, do you know when? In tw- oh, sorry, tw- 2010. This is 2010. Okay, so, so the first <laughs> part
0: was in 1969, right? The plant yes, was made? Yes, and, wow.
1: and this is 70 years after uh, DuPont originally found in their guinea pig studies that chloroprene had negative effects on living things. Wow. So, it took 70 years... 70 years. ...to officially say that chloroprene is bad. Um, but not now the people know that chloroprene is a likely carcinogen, and Iris says that... Um, they determine that 0.2 micrograms per cubic meter is the safe limit um, for chloroprene.
0: And so, is that include um, even if you're wearing it, or is it in the manufacturing of neoprene?
1: So, chloroprene is a chemical used in the, like, in the creation of neoprene. Okay. Um, so, I don't, I honestly don't know if the finished product has any chloroprint in it. Like I I didn't do that much research into like
0: uh neoprene Well yeah. After I mean then you get into all of manufacturing <laughs> and all so of ocean plastic and microplastics yeah. and all of that. But um
1: Yeah, which which honestly I, I do think it's kind of interesting. One thing I was thinking about is like I feel like we think about the after harmful effects of Uh, plastic and like synthetic materials so often and like how it contributes to pollution or even like washing them and creating microplastics and stuff but you don't necessarily I I at least don't necessarily think about the front end of all that. right
0: well it's just that it we don't have a circular waste stream in any way so the companies don't have to think there's a little bit more regulation kind of like you're saying now but Mm -hmm. ultimately companies still don't have to think about the end of life or even the middle life of their products Mm -hmm. aside from how it relates to the consumer because that will get people to buy more so obviously they care Mm -hmm. about how it performs for the customer but after they've had it for a certain period of time like they don't really care about what happens at the end of it because they don't have to care yeah
1: um so yeah that I'm not entirely sure if there is any chloroprene in neoprene once it's a finished product I'm assuming not I think it's mostly just in the production process Or it's most
0: harmful um, yeah at that point
1: Yeah um but so so now Robert Taylor who has you know kind of suspected this all all along finally has um information he knows it's harmful but <laughs> even though they know it's harmful they still don't know how much is in the air. So, like, how much is it the 0.2 micrograms per
0: cubic meter? There's no kind of test?
1: There is. But five years pass after the the EPA announces the safety limit Mm. until they actually get, like, the EPA goes into St. John and tests. Mm -hmm. So, in 2015,
0: um... 75 e- years after...
1: Yeah. yeah, so so long. So it still takes five years to for the EPA to go into St. John and test the levels and find that um, the risk of cancer from chemicals emitted by industrial facilities was 800 per million people versus 30 nationally. Per million? So 80, 800 people per million is the chance... Like, the risk. Oh, my gosh.
0: That's, like, a crazy uh, difference, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know if you want to do, like, an 800 divided by 30 <laughs> to show the times Definitely. Uh,
0: but, um, are, are you doing it? No, I was thinking about it, and then I was like, I'm not sure if that's the correct math, and I don't want to be embarrassed. But, oh, well, 800 okay. divided by 3 is 266. Does that mean anything to you?
1: 30. 30. Oh, so 26.6 so 26.6 I did that uh, my so head. it's just <laughs> it's a lot higher than the, the national average is basically um, and so they find out uh, well okay he, here's the number uh, um, so, but so the, that's the risk of cancer and they find out that the chloroprene levels are 755 times higher than the 0.2 limit that's deemed safe by the EPA, oh my gosh. Um, and in this zone that has these levels at 755 times higher than what's deemed safe, there's like an elementary school. Um, <laughs> so, th- so these kids are going to school, ev- like every day, in this super insanely toxic air.
0: Um, and it's in that predominantly black neighborhood, right? Yes. Yes. So oh, probably um, predominantly black school, yes, young children yes. who are, I don't know scientifically, but yeah. it seems like even okay. more susceptible. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, like especially like it, it, there are cancer is obviously an issue, but there's like so many other illnesses and things that are that are people are experiencing. So. Yeah, and even just if it like gives you headaches when you when it rolls out and you smell it, like kids like that makes it hard to focus and hard to learn yeah and like if you have a stomach ache because you're in toxic air like in addition to just like health issues like you can imagine all the other effects like, yeah i don't know when how you, you go to learn. the nurse
0: and she just tells you to lay down until <laughs> the end of the period yeah <laughs> you go back and you still have a stomach ache yeah, I can so also only yeah. imagine. I'm just thinking from Centralia, mm-hmm. and I think you said it at the beginning too. The air smells funny. Like it could just be sulfur, yeah. but also a, a lot of these other chemicals. But sulfur, yeah. the like egg rotten egg smell. Can you imagine that wafting through a classroom and having any of the kids be paying attention to the teacher, like even in the slightest? Because yeah, I can't.
1: no, yeah, no. Like it's it's really bad, and like. Most of the stories did focus on chloroprene as the main carcinogen that people were worried about, mm. but yeah, it's it's a mix of lots of different things. There's lots of different types of plants um, and stuff, and it, yeah, it just smells really bad. I did read a story about uh, like someone called the fire department because the smells were so so bad, and like they couldn't really do anything, but the the firefighter was just like, "How do they expect you to live? Yeah, in this like." Uh, what um and was like you have like a big problem on your hands here kind of knowing that like there there's not much you can do but like yeah like the person was like i know you can't do anything but like thank you for validating me right um Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i guess is
0: like all that (laughs) most people can even do is just being like yes this is bad well because they get gaslit Um, by all the legal companies that are just like deny 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 and all the oil companies their legal teams is what i meant because if they yeah. just deny it for so long, then you probably do start to think, like, oh, am I crazy? Is this just me complaining about a really seemingly superficial thing? Like, you know, the yeah. river next to me smelling a little funny? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So, so, yeah, it's just really awful, and now they know just how awful it is, um, which is 755 times more awful than it should wow. be. Um, which, also, I just think this is worth bringing up. Um, so, this point two limit is, like, what's deemed safe mm-hmm. for whatever. Um, and so, the EPA, uh, their goal for air pollution-caused cancer used to be one per million people. But, in 2016, um, Kelly Reimer from the EPA's Air Toxics Assessment Group said that, like, this, that's not really a realistic goal. Mm. So let's try to keep it under uh, 100 per million people. That's a big difference. It's a big difference. Yeah. Um, so from what I understand, this point 0.2 limit is to keep it under this, like, increased goal of 100 per million people, mm-hmm. but that's, like, 100 times worse than what the EPA used to aim for. Yeah. So it just, I, it, like... Yeah even with, like, hopefully increased attention on this, like, it's kind of been a slippery slope in terms of, like, what is even okay. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that was crazy. I'm like, that is an insane jump to just be like, ah. I, I bet it's fine. Just like this. A hundred per million, like, like, let's co- call it a day at that. Right. Um, but even at this increased risk it's still really really hard to enforce this 0.2 micrograms per cubic meter Mm -hmm. um and also suspiciously um in 2015 the same year that the levels were actually taken uh dupont sells the plant um to denka which is a japanese-owned company um and now whenever anyone kind of confronts DuPont on, hey, what's the deal with chloroprene? You Like, we know that you have known that it's bad for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you have to say about this? They basically just respond saying, like, I, we don't really know. Danka makes it now. It's not our problem. Mm-hmm. Which is Even though really it, shitty. Even though you
0: caused all the problems for the last few decades? Yes. <laughs> yes. So
1: that's just really sketchy, especially their timing in like changing hands um when was that 2015 so like 2015 is the year that the levels oh, were determined yeah. in the area and 2015 and they were is like the oh, this is
0: your problem now <laughs> maybe <laughs> yes, international law will problem. be more lax on you there yeah you so
1: it kind of yeah it also just makes it a little more complicated um but this is kind of where we get into the same area that you were talking about with like buyouts of homes and like deciding what to do because now people are armed with information and like they know that things are really really bad so what do we do about it now um and some people do decide to sell their homes because they're like we cannot live here anymore especially young people Mm -hmm. um but who do they sell it to i i think the companies will buy okay like the companies buy it, or I think there there might be some government options, but I think uh, some companies have offered buyouts to people living in the areas surrounding them, mm-hmm. and part of, like part of the issue is that even if they are offering one hundred sixty percent or more of what the houses are valued at, it's still um, it's still not enough to really go out and buy houses in safe areas anywhere else. Yeah. Because the values are so low. Mm -hmm. Um, So people are kind of just like, we can't afford to do anything, so like, well, I don't really know what to do. Or, like, this is, like, a really historic area for these people. Like, they're living on land that's been passed down for generations. Um, They're surrounded by their friends and family. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just important to them, so they, some just don't want to leave. Yeah. Um, so, while some people leave, a lot of other people start to organize now that they have information and can, like, actually try to do things about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, Robert Taylor, who I mentioned a few times, um, he founds Concerned Citizens of St. John to raise money and awareness for this issue in 2016. Um, and if you go to their website, which is ccosj.com, you can see... Uh, lots of really current information, just like kind of day-to-day things that are happening. Um, and they also have a GoFundMe um, just so they can go around and travel and raise awareness for the issue. Right. Obviously, all of the oil companies and chemical plants have a lot of money to send lobbyists to D.C. Mm-hmm. and wherever they need. Um, so they're kind of trying to do the same thing. Uh, but raise their money through GoFundMe. Right,
0: because I can't imagine, too, with quarantine now, you, you staying in your home all the time, and that increases your risk of, you know, constantly breathing those chemicals, having no break during the day if you maybe worked out yeah. of town or something.
1: Yeah, that is that is also true. Um, so he made that uh, organization. And then um, in 2018, Sharon Levine, who I mentioned at the very, very beginning of the story, Um, she started fighting against additional plants being built in the area. Um, obviously the plants that are already there are bad. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are three additional plants that are trying to get all the permits and everything. Um, they are trying to be built now. And so she made this organization called Rise St. James, which now goes by, um, or like also goes by now, uh, Coalition Against Death Valley. Mm -hmm. Uh, mainly to fight against the construction of um, a Formosa plastic plant being built. Um, and they don't have all their permits yet, so there's still kind of hope that by raising awareness and, yeah. you know, attention to all of it, that they won't get those permits. Right. And I also saw something a couple places about um, there being two suspected cemeteries where um, enslaved people were buried. Mm. So, obviously, in addition to harming, um, the people who are living there now, they're just continuing to disrespect the generations of people yeah. who have lived there previously. Um, but yeah, I went to their Facebook page, and they were doing a little live about, um, all of the plastic pollution on, in the Mississippi River, and they were showing all these little, like, plastic pellets. Yeah. That I guess, um spilled during a storm or something from a, a plant that's already there and they were kind of just saying like look at all this plastic look how bad it is right now
0: like we can't have another factory and then that's gonna um, trickle down it doesn't that go into the gulf of mexico i mean it's the mississippi river I mean, so it, y- it's yeah streams you can that that's
1: yeah yeah so they're like we can't take another one yeah. for most of plastics like i guess they had a similar spill in texas and they were like showing bags of little plastic beads collected from that wow. spill so they're really focusing on stopping additional building in the area wow. um and if yeah if anyone wants to go check out um or like see the video and see like what the plastic pollution looks like I think that live was from August 24th Yeah, so I'm um, definitely
0: gonna look at it I love just the whole grassroots organizing it's so important and those are the people that we need to send money to because they know the most about the area they live in the area they care about it and they want it to be a livable place
1: yeah yeah so that is a great organization doing great work um currently um and yeah i guess that just kind of obviously this is an issue that's been going on for decades um and we've only really had concrete information to work with in the past 10 years Mm -hmm. um But, um, currently, like, obviously we know, um, that Trump is really bad for the environment. What? Um, because, what? (laughs) Surprise! Um, but I guess, uh, that's obvious, but what I didn't know was that, uh, we're at a 30-year low for criminal enforcement of environmental infractions, Mm -hmm. which isn't surprising, but, like, I mean, I didn't know that it was, like, this is the lowest point in 30 years, um, but, like, that's exactly what needs to be happening yeah. in Louisiana, in Death Valley. Like, people need to be held accountable for all these emissions and all the harm that's taking place. Yeah.
0: Um, and all the regulations that the EPA has been stripping back so that those com- – but th- via that lobbying, so that those companies yeah. even aren't technically breaking the law, even though – because the regulation has been stripped back. But that doesn't mean they're not yeah. committing the crime in pro- – it probably means that they're doing yeah. it worse. They're just not getting punished for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, literal people from oil and petrochemicals are like appointed to leadership roles in the EPA. Yeah. So it's, it's not good. Um, so, so yeah. If you do want to do something about this, yeah. Vote for not Trump. Yes. Um, Votes. because, like, obviously you know voting for biden will be hopefully voting for people that <sighs> yes like it's voting for <laughs> like if whole, you're voting whole deal you're voting for better people to be in the epa that will actually do stuff
0: about this yes um well i actually had for uh, are you ready to go to our next section i have i a have a couple things? little things
1: i need the I things. Have two more things two more points of just like current, like, what's going on currently, Mm -hmm. um, you kind of mentioned Mm, that, uh, like, it would suck to just be stuck in your house when all these, like, fumes are just, like, going through your neighborhood, but, uh, the COVID death rate in Cancer Alley is the fourth highest in the country because, yeah, because, um, like, all the illnesses caused by the pollution and stuff are kind of, like, those... Conditions that make COVID more deadly, mm, like so more asthma, kind of, and,
0: more asthma
1: yeah, like respiratory problems. Just respiratory problems, like it just makes it a lot worse. So it's kind of one of those things that, like, it's just another factor that makes things like a pandemic a lot, lot worse. Yeah. Um. So that's just also something to think about and keep in mind. Um. And then I mean, it doesn't really have to do with the the plants and pollution themselves but i do feel like it's worth noting that this area was just hit with hurricane laura Mm. which is also just like i don't know like the climate change and whatnot is like making more tropical storms and more extreme weather it's very susceptible to that so they're just dealing with a lot of shit right now yeah um
0: yeah so supporting them in any way we can (laughs)
1: Yeah, so, like, follow these groups. Yeah. If you can give to their GoFundmes. do it. Uh, and, I mean, hopefully, there's obviously a heightened awareness for racism and environmental mm-hmm. racism. So, hopefully, that will help bring more awareness to this issue. Yeah. Um, and the people that are affected by it.
0: Yeah, I had uh, never heard yeah. of... Um, I'd heard of redlining, but not of industrial redlining, industrialization, and that whole yeah. um, idea of there being... More plants in areas that have already been redlined for political or yes. economical reasons. And then they put plants in those places that have less economic power and then are often disproportionately yeah. uh, people of color, maybe uh, lower economic class, less power. And yeah. that leads to all of these problems that we're seeing today.
1: Y- yeah, cause, cause, like they're there I didn't really get into it, cause there's there's so. Oh well, yeah, it's the and I tried topic. to like streamline it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like areas that already have plants and are already uh, you know, they're higher. Uh, not rates, just like a higher percentage of Black people live in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, like those areas are zoned for industrial and residential building, whereas other right uh, other areas are zoned for just residential and get more money to build parks and baseball mm. fields and yada 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 where um yeah other areas of town are like oh well that's where the plants go so yeah that is definitely a huge issue because th- this is an on ongo- like an ongoing issue new plants are in the process of being built right now so it's not like like one plant that you know has been there and is ca- causing all these issues like yeah it's if nothing is done about it, it's only there's only gonna be more plants and it's only gonna be worse and it,
0: like Yeah, and even if that the, one was yeah. shut down, that doesn't solve all of the problems and the things that have already happened. There's like an acknowledgement no. that needs to happen along with no. it. Yeah.
1: So like yeah, I I've mostly like most of the stories uh focused around this like uh DuPont Denka mm-hmm. uh neoprene plant but I as I mentioned there's over hundred fifty like processing plants in the area owned by a ton of different companies. So, yeah, this is happening. Yeah. Obviously, in that whole eighty-five mile stretch, uh, it's really bad. Right. So <laughs> On that, I, note. there's not really a yeah, there's not really a good a good way to end it. It's a huge bummer. Yeah, we rea- uh, I yeah. I
0: feel like we realized after we chose because I don't think we'll always know each other's stories or maybe we'll know a little bit more mm-hmm. about them. But for this one, we were like, oh, these are two important intertwined stories that kind of go along with the main like world is burning thing of our podcast Mm -hmm. but they're also very depressing stories but I feel like there's it's important to talk about things like this and be aware of problems like this and also feel like talking about them relieves some of the anxiety of like the uncontrollable big thing
1: yeah because it yeah it is just like how how does this happen like how do people know that something's really bad and just decide to go in and like decide to be just like accidentally catch or just like skip steps and then catch a whole town on fire like cut corners or whatever right
0: and yeah it's good to process yeah so kind of related to that we have our tentatively our our, like end section we don't we never want to enough on an you know, a bad note, and obviously not all of our stories are going to be very happy. In fact, most of this, most of them aren't. So this section is just called the dump, and it's literally mm-hmm. whatever whatever we want to talk about, but also just cool things that we've been watching, um, maybe interesting articles related to the environment, not related. Uh, one of the things you said mm-hmm. earlier was something I had written down, which is voting um it doesn't solve everything but it solves a hell of a lot and primary voting at least for massachusetts is well it doesn't really help it's tomorrow september 1st um but if you're in another state that has a later primary definitely vote in that that is really important um but also just setting up a voting plan for if you need to vote absentee or you're gonna go and vote early make sure you think about that for Mm -hmm. you and for your loved ones because it's a funny year to vote but it's important
1: yeah and honestly, like, if I, I know, like, I have younger siblings, like, if if you have friends that you're not sure if they know, or, like, you mm-hmm. looked up the information already for yourself, just, like, tell people, like, oh, yeah. like, the deadline's this. Like, did you do this? Here's the link. Right.
0: Just make it easy. Right. Um, I know I got ways yeah. to involve my, one of my roommates who <laughs> isn't here. Like, if she got a mail that was just you know if you're if you're gonna be at this address check this if you're not gonna be here and I barely know her but I texted it to her I sent her a picture I was like do you need me to fill this out for you like is this your correct address is everything all good and she's like yep it's fine and she actually did she was like okay I'll I'll go and uh, make Mm -hmm. sure that I have everything set up because they have the slightly wrong address for me so it was Mm -hmm. good um but yeah, yeah definitely it's important to come up with that plan because even hopefully you know if you're old enough you have voted in the past or voted in a lot of local elections but um this is going to be an interesting year so definitely having a plan a and a plan b very Mm -hmm. important
1: yeah and i i would say if you can vote in person definitely do that like if like i know obviously pandemic is making everything complicated but like if you've been going to the grocery store if you've been going out being around people, like, and taking precautions, like, voting isn't any less safe than that. So, yeah. probably better to not burden the post office with stuff and worry about deadlines and not being sure if your vote gets counted. Yeah, also,
0: and just a side note, yeah. I, um, I was signed up for absentee ballot um, ballots for the whole entire year because I was living in Morocco and that's where I was planning to be for the whole of 2020. Um, and then when i came back there was an election a local election in massachusetts where i'm registered i think in june or may anyway so i was registered for absentee but i just went in person and gave um did my ballot there and it was totally fine they just mark you off they it's not anything about double counting nothing no situations like that but you can go and vote in person even if you've signed up for absentee um although check definitely for your state to make sure that that's true yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a, a podcast recommendation <laughs> that it, maybe okay. I shouldn't talk about this because it's literally, uh, I just found it yesterday. It's the whole uh, Critical Frequency Podcast Network. I texted it to you, a couple of them. Yes. There is? Yes. Um, a show called Hot Take um, with Mary Anais Hegler and Amy Westerbelt that just like break down uh climate and media and it is really mm-hmm. cool they're really funny they bring on a lot of amazing guests and well i've only listened to a couple of episodes because i literally found it yesterday but i was just yeah so excited to hear that and then um amy westerville has a second podcast called drilled that's about um true crime related to climate change and that's it just blew my mind because we we've been searching. We did like a business plan and we listed out all these different podcasts and never didn't come across that. And then I'm just so happy that it exists and now I can listen to it and be obsessed.
1: Yeah, no, I I know that like I've I've binged so much true crime content. Yeah, uh, and I'm caught up on so many podcasts. So I'm ready to binge some more. I listened to half of the Hot Takes. Like mm. their, I think their most recent episode on. Uh, food right, And yeah. just, like, how hard it is to talk about diets and all the other
0: things that are... Yeah, vegetarianism like and veganism being, like, tied yeah. up in, in... Already popular in, like, especially yeah. black food culture, American food culture. Yeah, or,
1: like, they were talking about even just, like, travel, like, cuisine culture and, like, how it's so complicated. Um, yeah, or just, like, how, like, tomatoes aren't native to Italy.
0: Wait, really? And, <laughs>
1: I didn't South listen America. to that episode. I didn't listen to other yeah. ones. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, uh, because of like colonization and stuff that, like, we have pizza <laughs> because tomatoes aren't native to Italy. What? And just like, what? Yeah. I,
0: th- everything that's crazy. leads back to capitalism <laughs> and colonization, colonialism. It really, and yeah. money so, and corruption.
1: So, yeah. If, I mean, if, if you're anything like me and you've binged, yeah, almost every true crime.
0: Podcast, or if you, yeah, if you're true, listening but. to this and you're like, I need <laughs> this, but by professional journalists who kind of sound like NPR, then that's what you should listen to. Should, yeah, there's there's so many good options. Yeah. So
1: yeah, now it's time to binge some some climate podcasts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now's the time. Um, yeah. Do you have any recommendation? Uh, anything?
1: Uh, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't have anything climate related. No, uh, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> I want to hear about d d um, to
0: be honest, if you don't have any other ideas. <laughs>
1: ooh, well, I was going to say that I have officially, so, okay, since Phoebe Bridgers released Punisher, that is the mm. only thing that I have listened to. Mm-hmm. Am I okay? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. This is very, it was and it was very abnormal for me to, like, if if any of my friends are listening to this podcast like I listen to so much music at any given time mm-hmm. like I have like a million different new releases queued up and like have you know 500 plus so- like song playlists of new releases every season yeah. and for the past like two months or however long I've or more I don't know forget when that July yeah I've, I don't know I've like only been listening to Phoebe Bridgers and it's been really weird. You know, it's funny.
0: I, I <laughs> so we have a uh, a playlist for World Is Burning, which we'll put on places because you and I literally became friends going to concerts, talking about music, yes. all these things. So last night I was adding a couple more songs to it, and I was like, oh, I'll see if Elise has like a fall twenty twenty play because you make one for every season, and yeah, I yeah, except not for them. summer.
1: Oh, well, I didn't even
0: notice that, but the <laughs> fall one is, its you know, 15 songs. It was basically Phoebe Bridgers and Angel Olsen, which all...
1: No, Phoebe Bridgers isn't on there. Oh, because you it's, had to get uh, off of it? It started with uh, Samia, which that was right. what I was going to say. Okay, yeah. Samia just came out with an album, and it was really nice to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a new album that was really good. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah that kind of honestly that album kind of inspired me to make a new seasonal playlist and maybe that
0: yeah that's what it was you know
1: add other things into the queue of just phoebe birders
0: and like i love her so much but like i i i need yeah some diversity when we we saw her at the ryman with julian baker and um, lucy dacus that was yeah bananas
1: i think about that a lot
0: Another song that's on the World is Burning podcast is Burning Down the House. The, the playlist. Oh, the, oh, yeah. Sorry. Did I say podcast? <laughs> yeah. It's okay. The playlist. It's all good. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> is um, Burning Down the House by the Talking Heads, which, if you're mm-hmm. a Talking Heads fan like me, um, David Bird fan, he's the lead singer um, from the band from the 80s. He did a show a couple years ago also at the Ryman that came to the Ryman. Um, and mm-hmm. he did, like, kind of some of the classic Talking Heads songs, including Burnin- Burning Down the House. So, I was in the front row, I was by myself, it was surrounded by, like, 50-something men who were all super into it, Love and it. so was I, and yeah. I was just living <laughs> my life, like, <laughs> ugh. ugh, I miss concerts.
1: Yeah, me too. It's, it's a bummer, but I'm glad to have my playlist, Yeah, like, situation back. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm just excited to start a new season. I feel like, I mean, literally a new season fall. (laughs) And also, just like I'm in a new place, in a very different place. And like, it's starting a podcast, like a lot of new things. I start grad school in um, two days. Yeah. Technically tomorrow. Which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, that's insane. So, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. I have a small backyard, and I'm, I, this weekend, I, planted some plants and planted some seeds we'll see if they grow you started a garden i did (laughs) um hayley hendrix screaming i've I've been feeling that song which we saw Uh, her
0: i'm just connecting this to all the shows we've been together but we saw her in austin at south by southwest we drove down from nashville to be there um yes so it's full circle there's can you hear the car alarm i i can hear (laughs) the car it's okay that's that's new york for you i live in yes in Brooklyn and I made the choice to move away from my parents very quiet very serene house to that okay there we go there <laughs> now it's Fair off it is. um but yeah I have I have several roommates in a uh an active street but I think it's it gives some ambiance I was listening to um the the one and only episode of the Plasma Dolphin podcast, which is the zine of Sonya Katanik, who did our cover art. Shout out to her. Um, but anyways, I was listening to the one episode of their podcast, and they did it in a, in a park. So there's just, like, birds mm-hmm. chirping in the background, and you can hear, like, the wind breeze and stuff. And that made me really mm-hmm. wish we were – well, it wouldn't really work in Brooklyn. Maybe in, like, Prospect Park we could find a place that would be quiet enough for that.
1: Yeah, I would also just be worried that it would get really windy. Yeah. And all you'd
0: hear is like... But it was so... Yeah, that's so true. But I don't know how they did it. It was just so nice. I was like, I need to work on my audio so that we can have... Especially if we do, like, a nature... You know, when we do cool environmental activists and stuff, just to have, like, chirping in the background.
1: Not a bad idea.
0: Just, yeah. I'll just put in a bird effect. But yeah. But yeah, so so, shout out to (laughs) Sonya who did our... Um, amazing cover art. I'm actually obsessed with it. I look at it all the Same. time. Um, you can find her on Instagram. Her Instagram is at Sonya Volcanic um, mm-hmm. with Sonya with a J. And I always say Sonya, yes. but I think it's Sonya. But I mostly talk to her mm-hmm. via, you know, I, I feel like this is going to come up a lot. I feel like there's a lot of people I, or just terms that I only read. And so then as soon as I have to say it out loud, yeah. I'm like, I don't really know how to say that. Or, like, Instagram
1: handles that, like, Yeah, I, I know the shape of the words. Mm. Or, like, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I don't actually know I just recognize it because a lot yeah. of times it's a lot of words with no spaces. And then, like, I'll forget and I'll be like, this account that I love or, like, yeah. You remember I, the first I just, and
0: the last letter. Yeah, I That's remember it, it yeah. like,
1: visually and not. Then I'll be like, I don't know how to pronounce or search this. End. Yeah, yeah.
0: me trying to learn to read arabic which i didn't have a huge motivation well it wasn't absolutely essential to the work i was doing in morocco but it would have helped a lot but Mm -hmm. i would just memorize what certain what letters looked like Uh, so that i could generally get the gist of what was there without actually reading the words Mm. that's a whole nother story that's um and then our theme is by Casey Satterfield. Um yes. it's awesome. She's amazing. And she, she did that for us in like two days. Yeah. So, I was
1: like stressed about telling her that like we were hoping to release this week when I was like, right. Hey, would you do this theme song? I forgot. I was focused on our graphic and we needed a, yeah.
0: a theme. And she was just like, Oh, yeah, I'm done, here you go. So yeah. that's awesome. Thank you. And, and Casey. it's perfect. So Casey Satterfield, um, K A Y S I E Satterfield. See, K o y
1: c i e s a t t e r f i e l yeah spelling. There we go. We can. Well, obviously barely read. Yeah. Uh, and
0: just barely just getting doing a by. <laughs> we're the two village idiots. Yeah, that's why we started a podcast. We can't read. Yeah, so we don't have to write things out. Uh, yeah. Uh, which yeah.
1: I mean, we are also. I mean. Even though we've established that we can't read. Um, it, we are doing a blog on our website, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is worldisburning.com. Um, right. Just basically an overview of what we talked about in each episode and links and whatnot will be yeah, there. Yeah, full
0: links to everything that we, all of our like research yeah. stuff and then um, pictures and stuff like that. Yes. Um, ways to listen, all that. And if you like what we're doing, you can follow us at World is Burnin' on Twitter and Instagram. So, World is Burnin' without the G. Yep. We're working on securing the G. We'll see yep, if that we'll happens. See how, how it goes. Um, um, but that's what it is for now. Um, on there, we're going to post uh, cool story details, like stuff that doesn't make the show, um, articles from the past week. But it's going to be a mm-hmm. fun outlet. I feel like we like social media sometimes so it's a good (laughs) thing um you can also help us out by giving us a follow or subscribing on like whichever platform you're listening to whether that's Mm -hmm. apple spotify any of those um hitting that follow subscribe button really helps us out or downloading Mm -hmm. the episode too yeah Um, share it on your stories if you mm -hmm. like it uh yeah Yeah, and you can give us a review, too, on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get just, like, on the radar. We're an indie podcast. We don't have any social following that is significant. So every little bit helps. And also, if you have any thoughts, ideas, this makes you think of personal stories, there's other stories you want us to cover, Um, feel free to DM us or send us an email, worldisburningpod at gmail.com or on our website, worldisburning.com. We have that stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that. That's it. First episode down. (laughs) Yay. I need to go have a drink. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening, (laughs) and come back next Wednesday. We'll have a new episode for you, all new stories.